a fun Sunday we had underneath the big tent, our whole church together in one service, everyone together. It was tremendous. If you missed it, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope we'll be able to, we have a replay of that for you on online. But what a great Sunday to be together, all ages together, to have the kids involved in worship, those baptisms right in the heart and the center of what we were doing as a reminder that this is really what we're about as a community to hear from Don Doe, the founding pastor, and just to hear some of that story and to realize we're connected to what God is doing and that that story isn't done yet, that we're going to be moving into the future and, and an exciting time. And, and we're celebrating this idea of multiply, and this was the day, the culmination of where are we going to be in this campaign to, to expand this building, to expand this footprint for the children, for the youth, for the staff, for the lobby, for the expansion of this worship uh, auditorium, that God would, would really do the next Thing in us. And we talked about multiply, not just being a campaign to build a building, but we unveiled the fourth of our key values. You saw maybe the sign as you came in. We always have talked about a place where we gather the people, where we turn hearts and minds towards God. We love others with no strings attached. And we drove a stake into the ground on last Sunday that we would be about more than just what happens here, but that we would take what happens here and multiply our impact beyond these walls. And every time you leave here, as you walk out these doors, look at those signs, look at that word, multiply our impact beyond these walls, because that's where all of us are involved. We love others, no strings attached, and we go out and we multiply our impact, what we do, and together as a church. And so we came together, the challenge was put in front of us that this would be the day where we would all try to do our very best to see what we could even do financially to make this dream a reality. And when I came on board here at the church, one of the things I knew was this project was underway, that there were pieces already in motion, there was already resources that had been committed, but that we had to decide, are we going to go for the whole thing, are we going to do it? And when are we going to do it? And so we talked about that as a board. And uh, back in March, this is what we were faced with, a $4.7 million project to be able to do everything that we've been talking about all these weeks. And we still needed another million, just over a million dollars to come with pledges and ultimately also um, to make up that, that difference between what we've borrowed, the cash in hand already, and pledges already made. We still had another million to go. A huge endeavor to do uh, in two months. And we prayed about it. We planned about it. We've talked about it. Some of you guys are probably glad we're not going to talk as much about it anymore. But uh, we talked about everyone being involved. And so we're ready to reveal today. Are you guys ready to, to, to hear where, where we ended up? Um, all right. We need to do a drum roll. We got a no, no drummer. You guys will have to be our drummers. All right. All right. Pat your hands. Now, now, first service stopped when I started talking. So keep going, keep going, even over my talking. So I want to reveal to you, Dean, you got to come up here with me. We, Dean and I um, have, have come prepared. Oh, yeah. Come prepared? Oh, no, oh, no that's, that's uh, something else. I don't know what that is. Put that away. Some, All right. Some roll aids, right. man. This thing's been stressful. <laughs> All right, keep going, keep going. We need a little drum roll. All right. We were short even by 360,000. We still had to make that up. Come on, louder, louder. We had to make that up last week. I know your legs are hurting. Not only did we hit our goal, we exceeded it by $22,000. Give a big cheer. I wish you, we should, all right, you guys can, you guys can, you can rest your hands now. Rest your hands now. That is so awesome because we were coming in and, and this is, these were the numbers we put together for this morning. And then would you know it? that actually we have received over $115,000 more uh, towards in addition to this goal. So we are even blowing past that goal as pledges continue to come in. It is not too late to contribute. We've talked about 
everyone being a part of this, and I think we were so encouraged uh, last week that it's not just a handful of people that are making this happen, but there is wide buy-in from the church of saying, we want to be a part Amen. of this. Dean is up here. He's uh, on our board, longtime member here, founding member of the church, and also uh, campaign chairman. Dean, what are you thinking? What's so, going on? So uh, when, when we started creating the calendar, and uh, you had kind of laid out what your thoughts and your, and your vision was, and we talked about today, this Reveal Sunday, it seemed so far away to me. <laughs> like, wow, that's just forever. Monday seems far away. Yeah, that's right. And then it seemed like a second away because who does a campaign like that, you know, resurrects it in 60 days. Ladies and gentlemen, Sunday, last Sunday to me, lifted me like almost no other Sunday we've had here. Top five for me in 20 years. And part of it was just a trusting God and what a great pastor we've gotten that's helping lead us to where we're at. Am I right? Oh, come on. Mm -hmm. However, if you're ever going to get baptized... He needs to get that water warmer because, wow, that was cold, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> I went over and felt it. I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad I didn't get baptized today. But, but I will tell you that, like Matt said, we were $350,000 short, $360,000 as of last Sunday. And what's happened in the last week to take us to the level we're at right now, and then what's happened today, just today, it's continued to occur. Mm -hmm. And... You know, when I came in this morning and Matt said, well, that $17,000. Mark is Mark, your current I mean, pastor. Did I say that? That's okay. Um, well, I had a reason that I was going to say <laughs> I let it go the first time. Did I say it twice? <laughs> I love Matt. It's all good. It's all good. Maybe Matt's watching. <laughs> There's no recovering from Don't this. Don't worry episode. about Don. No. <laughs> anyway, so we have this awesome pastor named Mark. <laughs> and it's clear to me that, that uh, God's been in, in uh, bringing him to us, so no matter what name I call him by. There's no recovering from this. <laughs> anyway, so the rest of this morning has been so incredible for me, so I know it was exciting for you to hear what had happened, but I've had some of that same excitement because I didn't know that we'd had that extra $100,000 come in. And then since that, in the last two services, then there's been another $20,000, $25,000 mm -hmm. added. And it's not about the money. Forget that. It's about that faithful giving and that God's in the way, right? Am I with, are you with me on that? And so it's this. And it's is, so cool as people are handing that. I, you, you see that, like, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of making this happen. Count yeah. me in, kind of deal. That's, no, I, it's that's very, cool. very encouraging. And so, what happens next? So, first and foremost, uh, we have to formalize our, uh, our, our bank loan. And the most important way we can do that is that everyone fulfills their pledges. Secondly, is, is that uh, we're still just maybe just making sure we've got the, the, the floor plan just right. So, any tweaks we're doing to that. There's been a lot of work already done uh, to make sure we get through the city. And, but we still have that formalized process to go. And once that all happens, tomorrow we'll start construction. No, that would be too <laughs> soon. But we will start construction. How excited are you to see sticks go in the air and a building to happen? And, and, like, and like Mark said just a moment ago, is, is that it isn't about that building. It's about what we're doing outside of that. But we've got to get that finished. And I won't put a time frame on it because all of those things have to, have to occur. But before we know it, those sticks will go in the air we'll have that building finished, and it's going to be incredible. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate this congregation and how much I love you guys, and this is just really incredible. Yeah. Thanks, and give Dean a hand for leading us through this process as well. Um, we'll continue to give you some periodic updates as we know a little bit more, but uh, thank you for allowing us to raise the, this, uh, this great vision before you for several weeks, and uh, I'm just so excited that uh, you have just 
made it abundantly clear that you're invested in this, that you're excited about this, and you want to be a part of it. So let's keep it going and just celebrate all that God wants to do here at McDowell Mountain Community Church. morning. I'm Jeff Mugford. I'm the associate pastor. Dean, that's Jeff. Oh, where'd he go? Jeff Mugford. Um, just in case. I got to tell you that I've... Uh, yeah. I got to tell you, I've done that. I've almost done that a couple of times myself in staff meetings. So, hey. Um, I, you know, too, isn't it exciting to be a, a part of a church that's, that's going somewhere and doing something? I, I think even just that, like, like Mark taught last week, um, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember at the end of that story, they, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers? Perhaps maybe this, uh, this extra 100, 120 is, is that, like that 12 baskets of leftovers, right? Isn't that, isn't that good just to, to be a part of a church like this? And, and by the way, the, the baptism water, it was room temperature. So <laughs> we were outdoors, it was cold. So the water was cold too. Um, but exciting to be here today. We're going to wrap up this series called Jesus According to Jesus. Uh, you know, if we're going to get to know Jesus and, and understand who he is and, and follow him and, and be a believer, then we should probably listen to how he described himself. Uh, if, if you were to get, want to get to know me better, you know, it'd probably be smart to to hear how, how I describe myself, if I wanted to get to know you better, it'd probably be important for me to listen to how you describe yourself. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus um, says some very strategic things to his followers and to the crowds that were beginning to listen to, them, to him and then to us also in John chapter Six and eight and ten and fifteen. Now, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I am the good shepherd, and I am the gate for the sheep, and I am the resurrection and the life, the things that we've been talking about over the last month or so, as, as Pastor Mark has been teaching us from Easter uh, until now, it, it wasn't just that Jesus was saying that, that I'm a good shepherd, I'm a gate. I'm the bread, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those first two words, I am, were so important. They weren't just a prefix for what was coming next. They were very pointed and strategic. And in fact, those that first heard him, his disciples and the crowds that were beginning to listen to him, they would have known that as soon as Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the the gate, I am the resurrection and the life. They would have known immediately that Jesus was aligning himself with the history of the people of Israel. In fact, he would be going back to the calling of their greatest prophet, the one that they revered and loved, Moses. Do you remember the calling of Moses? When Moses was standing there at the burning bush, 
I mean, it was one of those moments for Moses as an individual, but also for the nation of Israel. And do you remember when God called out to Moses and said, you will be the one that will lead my people out of bondage, out of slavery, and to take possession of the land. Do you remember what Moses asked God? Moses said, well, tell me your name. Tell me who it is that is sending me so that the people will believe me. And in fact, in their culture and in the surrounding cultures of the time, if you were to discover the name of the God that you are worshiping, that somehow you would, you would have their power, you would have their strength in your life. So that's what Moses was asking. Moses was asking, tell me your name. I'm not moving further. I'm not taking one step further until you tell me your name. Do you remember what God said to him? God said, tell them I am has sent you. <laughs> Interesting, right? Kind of funny, right? I'm sure Moses was like, what? I am has sent me? Yeah, God said, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. <laughs> and it was this moment in the nation of Israel, this God revealing himself to be the great I am. And so when Jesus, do you see it? As Mark has been teaching this past month and when you're reading it in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. He wasn't just revealing something small about himself. He was revealing that he was the one that had been promised that would come, that would be even greater than their prophet Moses. Now this would obviously create response in them. For some, it would begin to get them curious. I wonder if he truly is. For some, they would begin to boil with anger. And we see that in the Gospel of John, that some people hear this, and their eyes bulge, and their ears perk up, and they begin to try to figure out what to do with this Jesus, who is so strategically and clearly aligning himself with their history and with the prophecies about the Messiah. And then we come to John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up today. Uh, if not, uh, they'll be up on the screen. Um, and we come to John chapter 15. One last I am statement by Jesus. And it's going to reveal the kind of relationship, the nature of the relationship, if you will, that God wants to have with us through Jesus the Christ. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, Jesus speaking, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now listen to this. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's take just a moment, shall we? And let's just pray that, that God would um, give life and power to his word today. God, 
Your word is alive and active and strong. And so, Lord, today, would you move in power like we've sung through your word? Would you apply your word to our life exactly where we need it this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I grew up in the wine country of Northern California. I remember as a child growing up that uh, there were lots of, of vineyards uh, around where we lived. And I remember going on, on car trips, and as we would go on car trips, uh, I remember uh, as we would race by on the freeway, seeing the vineyards so carefully um, laid out uh, and it would almost seem like as we were speeding by that they were like pages of a book that were being flipped. Have you ever done that? Did you ever do that when you were passing by a vineyard? But I also remember seeing often the workers constantly working on the vineyard, on, on the vines, making sure that, that they were pruned back, making sure as vines will do, they'll, they'll grow wild. And if you don't pay attention to them, uh, they'll, they'll get wild on you. And so they were constantly trimming back these vineyards, these workers giving daily care to the vines, trimming back certain parts of the vine. Did you know that we just read that God is a farmer? God plants people, and, and we are his garden. The point of a garden, of course, is to produce fruit, right? When those farm workers, when they laid out that vineyard, they expected, they anticipated all that care would produce fruit, would produce grapes, would eventually produce great California wine, right? I don't know if you've ever gardened. I, I don't do much gardening here in Arizona, uh, it's tough to garden here. Anybody garden here in Arizona? Okay, Dave. Good, let's all go to him for our tomatoes. And... <laughs> I remember trying to plant a garden while we were in Oregon. Uh, everybody planted gardens in Oregon. They have plenty of water up there. It was uh, raining all the time, it seemed like, so we figured it, you know, that was the thing to do, was to plant a garden. Well, we planted strawberries and tomatoes and zucchini, now, uh, we began to understand that zucchini was kind of, you know, the, the thing that, that grew abundantly in, in Oregon. In fact, when we first arrived in Oregon, there was, a, there was a sign on a gas station that said, it's zucchini season, don't look anyone in the eye. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant, and so I asked someone and said, yeah, you know, everybody grows zucchini, and they all have zucchini, and they're always looking for someone to hand it off to and get it to. <laughs> So I understood, don't look anyone in the eye. They're going to give you all of their zucchini, right? Unless you love zucchini, you don't want that. Well, we planted a garden, and we'd wake up in the morning, and we'd begin to see, you know, that the plants were, were growing. But we never saw the fruit on those plants. We came to discover that, indeed, the rabbits, they saw the fruit on our plants, and one day I came out in the morning and there were a flock, I don't know if you call them that, a flock of deer. What, what would that, what would a bunch of deer, and they were all feasting on my garden. That was the last garden I've ever planted. I'm never planting another garden. Why? Because we expect fruit, right? We don't go to all that trouble. Dave, you don't go to all that trouble and then not expect any fruit. If it's a flower garden, you expect flowers, right? Well, we're told in this passage that God is a gardener, 
And, and we are his garden. And he expects for us to produce fruit. Now, once again, when, when Jesus chose this image, this, this metaphor of I am the true vine, again, it reached deeply back into the rich history of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, the grapevine was a prominent symbol for the people of Israel. In fact, right in their temple, at the very center of their religious and cultural life, there was a, a massive vine made of pure gold, 90 feet high, right in the middle of their temple. It was a symbol of the nation and its prosperity. Their alignment, their, this metaphor that we are God's vine. It was a favorite metaphor to describe the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Time and again, the people of Israel are likened to a vine. Just a couple of examples. In Psalm chapter 80, we read these words. You were brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. Prophet Isaiah said, I will sing for the one I love a, a song about, about his vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Then I look for good grapes. Why did it yield only bad? Hosea the prophet, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought back fruit for himself. See, God's purpose for Israel, for his people, was that they would always be this fruitful vine, that they would be a blessing, if you will, to the entire earth, that they were not just to hoard this fruit for themselves, that they were meant to share this fruit, this love that they had experienced, this acceptance that they had experienced, this calling that they had experienced with the entire world, that everyone would be able to experience that, but you know that they began, they began to hoard this fruit, right? They began to, to just say, we are the chosen ones. Here's how Jeremiah puts it. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me and become a corrupt, wild vine? And so what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the true vine, he is saying that I am now the faithful and true Israel. Where the nation failed, I will succeed. Where the people fell short, Jesus says, I will get the job done. This blessing to be a blessing. Now, of course, when he said this, he, he wasn't just saying that I am like a vine. He wasn't saying, yeah, I'm just comparing myself to a vine. He didn't say, I am a vine. Like there's lots of vines, pick one, choose one. No, he said, I am the vine. And indeed, he said, I am the true vine of Israel. Fruitful and unfruitful branches, Jesus talks about. How can we tell, how can we be sure that we as individuals and as people collected, that we are a fruitful branch? Here's the big idea. Fruitful branches know that they are dependent on the vine for their life. If you have your worship folder and you want to fill in those blanks, they know that they are dependent on the vine 
for their life. So they cling tightly. You know, the older I get, the more I sense my absolute dependence on the vine. The weeds and the withering sun and the tainted water can so easily stunt our growth, right? But even worse than these external conditions is my internal condition to want to go it alone, to try to do it by myself, to try to produce fruit on my own and maintain this kind of momentum on my own, to try to be autonomous, to just sit on the back row and not let anybody bug me, just to do it on my own, by myself. We try to produce fruit from our own resources and adrenaline and strength and a combination of, of self-talk and energy drinks, right? And, and somehow that will, will infuse me with power. That will be able to produce fruit. And then something happens in our life. A tragedy, a crisis. We come to the end of ourself and we figure out, I can't do this on my own. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough power. And I want to say to you that if you're in that place this morning, that is a great place to be. To be in that moment where you understand and you realize, I don't have the strength to do this. I have to stay connected. I have to abide, remain, stay in, stay connected to the vine. He is divine. We are de branch. <laughs> but um, <laughs> one of Jesus' favorite words was this little word, mino. It's often translated as remain, stay, or abide. And it describes not just an enduring relationship, but an intimate relationship. One in which the, the vine, one in which the branch is is connected and remains and stays in and abides. Earlier in John's gospel, he says this, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to me and my teachings. A couple verses after the verses that I read this morning says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you'll produce much fruit. You'll produce this, this more and more like Jesus fruit. In fact, we sang about it this morning. Joe and I didn't talk about this, but that line in the song, oh, to be like you, give everything I have just to know you. That's this description of the vine and the branches. The fruit that extends from that is becoming more and more like him. Transformation, transformed into his image. That's the fruit. In fact, the Apostle Paul would pick up on this idea later in the New Testament, famously referred to as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's saying when, when you're clinging to the vine, remaining in the vine, this is the fruit that is produced. But I don't know if you noticed this, in those first few verses of chapter uh, 15 that we read earlier, how even more and greater fruit is produced. Did you notice it? 
When you begin to produce fruit of this kind, God wants to produce even more fruit. And did you see how he does this? By pruning. I remember watching when I was growing up, the vineyard workers cutting off the branches. I didn't quite know what they were doing then, but what they were doing was making sure that the dead branches wouldn't get any of the life-sustaining nutrients from the soil, only the ones that were producing. So there was this pruning process. This process can be painful, right? We instinctively then assume that hardship or struggles are somehow God's way of punishing us, or that somehow we've done something that has severed the relationship, right? Somehow we have failed. But Jesus is telling us that the pruning process is not punishment or rejection, but the generous, gentle gift of a loving Savior who cares more about our character than our comfort, cares more about the fruit that we are producing than maybe the fun that we're having. Not that Jesus doesn't want us to have fun, but he's concerned about the fruit that we're producing in our life. And how do we know when Jesus is pruning us? We become more and more dependent and reliant on the life-giving vine. Oftentimes when we experience difficulty or disappointment, we, we begin to think that somehow we have been rejected, that we then begin to become angry and bitter. Oh, I've seen it over and over again. Perhaps maybe you have too. Perhaps maybe you've experienced it. When times of dif difficulty and disappointment comes, when that pruning process begins, we, be we begin to get bitter and angry. God, how could you allow this? God, what are you doing in my life? Maybe it's the gentle Savior who is trimming away anything that doesn't produce fruit and glorifies him so that you can produce even more fruit. In fact, I was reading in Isaiah, and I came upon this a couple weeks ago. He says this, though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Now listen to this. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. That gentle whisper behind us. Oh, you've, you've heard it, haven't you? In those times of difficult, difficulty and disappointment, that gentle whisper, this is the way, stay in it, whether to the right or to the left. Even though suffering and hardship seem to be the food and the drink that you're eating and drinking, perhaps maybe, it's the pruning process, making us more and more like Jesus, transforming us into his image. The writer to the Hebrews had it right when he said, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest or fruit of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, there's a section of Scripture right after what we read this morning in John chapter 15. And oftentimes it's not included uh, in the passage about the vine, but I think that's a mistake. And this morning, as we, as we kind of wrap up, I want to walk us through what are some of the, 
you know, beyond just the fruit, what are some of the results um, that we should expect, that Jesus says that we should expect as we abide and remain and stay in the vine? John chapter 15, starting with verse 11, he says this, I have told you these things, and that's the key that connects it with what we have just read, I am the true vine. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. We can expect when we abide in the vine, when we stay connected to the vine as branches, we can expect this joy, joy that would overflow. Now, joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is dependent upon external things, upon feelings, upon how the day went, you know, how much work we had to do, right? How much fun we didn't have, didn't get to do. That's not necessarily what Jesus taught. He's talking about a deep, inward joy, joy that's unspeakable, as we used to sing about. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Remember James, Jesus' brother? Consider it, what? Pure joy when you encounter hardships and trials of many kinds. Seems counterintuitive, right? Doesn't seem to make sense. And yet, there's this joy that comes by staying connected to the vine. And then listen to this. It goes on. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's a kind of sacrificial love. When we are abiding, when we are uh, abiding in the vine that is Jesus, there's this sacrificial love. We, we begin to care about the people around us. In fact, I think that that's what has been happening over the, the last few months and certainly last week as we began to, you know, to talk about this you know, building um, we're beginning to see this is for future generations. This is a kind of sacrificial kind of love. Oh, we're going to benefit from it. We'll see it. Some of you that have kids, you'll see it. Your kids will benefit from it. But it's this kind of sacrificial love that Jesus calls us to, that we begin to understand as we stay connected to the vine. Oh, it's not something that when we're disconnected with the vine, that comes naturally to us. But when we're connected to the vine and, and we see the example of Jesus and his sacrificial love, it makes us, again, want to be like him in that. Sacrificial love. And then he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Friendship with God. This isn't just, you know, a, a big God hovering over us. Do this, do that. No, it's, it's a God that says we're friends. Hand in hand, arm in arm. Of like mind, friends. Friendship with God. Some of you might have come in this morning and you've never experienced that. I, I hope that you will. I hope you will experience it today, that you'll make that decision, that choice to say, I want to be friends with God because God has already been a friend to me. And then also, verse 16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you 
and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. I love those words, I appointed you. A, a purpose. God gives each one of us a purpose. Our fruit will look a little bit different. Some of us will be blueberries, some of us will be strawberries, right? Some will be zucchinis. But God gives each one of us a purpose. Before I became connected to the vine, one of the distinctives of my life was I was drifting. Had no purpose. Had no meaning to my life. And almost immediately, as I connected myself to the vine, he gave me a purpose. There's maybe some young people here today that you feel like that, like I don't know where I'm heading, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Connect to the vine, walk in it, you'll find a purpose. I have appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. And then finally, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now there's something interesting, it will have power in prayer. But what happens when you're abiding in the vine and staying connected to Jesus and, and staying connected to the vine that is Jesus and drawing your life-giving, you don't just start handing Jesus your laundry list of prayer concerns. No, there's this, there's this aspect of intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And you're praying prayers like, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me the direction that you want me to go. Show me your will for my life. And you're not just handing him this laundry list, this to-do list for God. God, if you would do this. So when John says, you'll be able to ask anything in my name, it's as you're staying connected to the vine. In 1847, Henry Light was losing his battle with tuberculosis. Light wrote the great hymn, Abide With Me. After he wrote the hymn, Abide With Me, he, he died about three weeks later. I don't know if you remember if you grew up in the church and sang hymns in the church, but uh, I think Abide With Me was hymn number 434 in the red hymnal. About 150 years after he wrote it, it was sung at the funeral of Mother Teresa. In fact, it was her favorite hymn. She knew that the fruit that her life had, had bore had, was only possible because she had stayed connected to the vine. She had stayed connected to her Jesus. Some of the stanzas of that hymn, that great old hymn, say this, I need thy presence every passing hour. What by what but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself, my guide and stay, can be through cloud and sunshine? Lord, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Father God, we thank you for this vine. This vine that sustains us, gives us life, gives us purpose, gives us meaning, gives us power in prayer. 
sustains us, gets us through the dark days of pruning so that even more fruit can be produced. God, help us to abide with you because you've already chosen to abide with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going